My name is Megan Pacheco, and I'd like to introduce you to three incredibly wise, experienced, and godly leaders we'll have the privilege of hearing from today. These three are the authors of Lead Like Jesus Revisited. First, I'd like to welcome Phyllis Henry Halverson. Phyllis is the president and CEO of Lead Like Jesus, and she has been leading the global work of Lead Like Jesus for the last 19 years. We also have with us two co-founders of Lead Like Jesus, Ken Blanchard and Phil Hodges. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you. Yes, Phil and Ken, these are unprecedented times. Leaders globally are looking for wisdom. They're looking for answers, encouragement on how to navigate this new normal we all find ourselves in. We have received a lot of questions that reflect leadership challenges posed by this new reality. But before we start answering those questions, I'd like for you to help us frame the conversation in light of the leadership model of Jesus that's so foundational to the work of Lead Like Jesus that we do. So Phyllis, let me address this one uh, to you. At Lead Like Jesus, we always begin leadership conversation with the heart. Could you share why the heart of a leader is so critical? Megan, thank you. We do always begin with the heart. You know, we have understood that the heart is our why. It's why we do what we do. It's our intention and motivation. And we see over and over again that we could, could teach wonderful leadership skills and practices, and we do. But we know if the heart is not in alignment with God, then we can't lead like Jesus. And so we know that the heart is at the core of the question, are you a self-serving leader or a serving leader? What does that look like? And the greatest barrier that we see to being a serving leader is self-interest. And that's the barrier that we have to go up against is what is our own self-interest? What is our why? What is our intention and motivation? And we have three questions that we all believe are really central to making sure that our hearts are in alignment with the Father. And the first one is, is God first in my life? I mean, it sounds like a simple question, but the truth is other things crowd in. As you know, there's power and position and there's people and education and heritage and all of these things that might come in times before God. So the question is, is God first? Is he the one that I worship uh, more than anything else? And the second question is, is God where I find my security and self-worth? You know, do I find my self-worth in other people's opinions, in my position, in my role in the community, in the things that I am doing, where do I find my security and self-worth? And then the third question is, is he my primary audience? Is God my primary audience? Or am I playing to others? Am I trying to please? And you know, this is a question that I struggled with because I love pleasing people. I love making people happy and thinking well of the things that I'm working on. 
but I have to go back and ask these questions often. Even when I'm going into a meeting, I have to think, is God first? Is he still the source of my security and self-worth? And is God my primary audience? And you know, if I say no to any of those, then what happens to me is there's this result of pride or fear. And right now, what we're seeing around the world is this epidemic of fear. So the coronavirus brought one epidemic, but now there's another epidemic, and it's fear. And what we know is that fear is this anti-God state of mind. It's not what God is teaching us. And so the temptation to put something else in God's place, the temptation to choose another source of our security, self-worth, and wisdom, or to put someone else as the primary audience in our life will lead us into this place of fear or pride. And immediately we are separated from not only God and not only others, but we're separated from ourselves. Think of it. When we're in alignment with the Father, the creativity, the wisdom, all of the things that we know come from Him are kind of squelched. These things get tighter, the things of not knowing what to do. But when we're open up to what He's telling us, then we actually have wisdom, just as, as we're taught in scriptures. When we ask for wisdom, we will have it. And scripture tells us too in 2 Peter 1.3 that we have everything we need for life and godliness. But this is our heart being aligned with the Father. So as, as we talk about all the time, it really is about the heart. And we believe that if you don't get the heart right, that nothing else we do will actually work out as well as what we wanted it to do. So that's why we start with the heart. The heart is primary in everything we want to do to lead like Jesus. But Ken, I've been thinking about our heart and wondering, you know, how do we stay in alignment? What are the things that we teach about staying in alignment with the Father? Would you talk about that? Yes, Phyllis. Uh, and staying in alignment with, uh, you know, the love of God, which is the basis of the whole thing, that he absolutely loves us is our being habits. And our being habits is really, how do you, for me, enter your day? Because the being habits that really excite me and keep me aligned with my heart, which is a servant heart, is first of all, solitude. Uh, waking up and not jumping into your task-oriented self. So often we do that. We have a thoughtful self and we have a task-oriented self and the alarm goes off and we jump out of bed, you know, into our task or yourself. John Ortberg, I love, he says, why don't we call the alarm clock the opportunity clock, or it's going to be a great day. No alarm. And you're into your task or yourself and you're running around, you're trying to eat while you're, you know, uh, organizing your day. And then you jump in your car, you know, and you're on the phone, you know, and you're running this meeting, that meeting, you know, and you get home at night, you know, and, and uh, you fall into bed don't even have enough energy to say goodnight to somebody who might be lying next to you. And next day, boom, you're at it again. And pretty soon you're in a rat race. And I love Lily Talman, the you know, great Hollywood philosopher. She said, the problem with a rat race is even if you win it, you're still a rat. Uh, and so what, what you really need to do is 
start your day with your you know thoughtful reflective self in, in solitude and then prayer prayer is a way that we communicate with god it's not just asking him for what we want but it's also listening you know saying what do you suggest how do you think i could handle this and then quiet your mouth and listen and all a friend of ours says that you can always tell when god's talking to you because you think of something that you never would have thought of yourself and so uh you know you quiet yourself and in prayer and in discussion with good God. And then reading scripture. Why would you want to read scripture? Because that's the word of God. And uh, that will reinforce constantly that you're here to serve, not to be served. I mean, even Jesus said, here, even I am here to serve and be served. And so if it's with the habits, if we enter the day with them, believing that God absolutely loves us, starting in solitude, prayer, then reading of scripture and all. That's get your day going right. And then what I like to do, Phyllis, is I like to end my day thinking about how did I do today? You know, and consistent with the old one minute manager, I write down praisings, you know, what did I do today that's consistent with who I wanted to be today in terms of, uh, of uh, being aligned with my servant heart, and uh, and I pat myself on the back. There's nothing wrong with praising yourself. And then I write redirections, and that's stuff that, well, I could have done a little bit better on that, you know. I didn't bring God with me in these different activities, you know. And it's not just about starting your day with God, but he wants to be with you throughout the day. And so that's so important. And so uh, that's where I think we go Phyllis, after we uh, deal with the heart, which is the question is, are you here to serve or be served? And then what are the habits that we can engage in <clears throat> that reinforce it? And at the end of the day, how do we do? So Phyllis, we have the being habits, which is really important on how you enter your day and maybe how you take a look at how you did that day. And Phil, uh, we need to now move to the head, which is what are your beliefs and your thoughts about leading like Jesus and all? So why don't you share with us about the head? Okay, Ken, thank you. The, the head being your thinking and your perspective on um, your role as a leader is important. If your heart's right, which could be your intentions, uh, now the question is, how do you perceive the role that you've accepted? be it one that has been given to you uh, through life circumstances like a father or a, a brother or a husband, or one that you've been assigned to by some kind of organizational um, purpose, uh, is to get, an, get a handle on what the purpose of that and uh, perspective of that role is. And going back to Jesus is uh, always the basic best model. Um, and I think the thing that was most important was the three things that we spoke about, about perspective. First, about the role of the leader. What's my role? And where did we get that from Jesus? And in his very own words, uh, he said, I came among you as a servant. Uh, he spoke also about in Matthew uh, that a new perspective of greatness in leadership 
uh, for his uh, purposes was not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as, as he gave his life as a ransom for many. So a perspective on leadership as an object, uh, an objective of serving. And then what do you serve is an important thing. Uh, the thing is the serving the highest purpose uh, that you can uh, pass on to others. You know, authentic leadership really requires uh, an ability to uh, focus in on what is the highest purpose that you can legitimately call others to. And the, if your highest purpose is your own success, it's not going to draw people to others. If your highest purpose is money or what ha or something of that sort, uh, then your, every one of your decisions are going to be around gaining that. And what Jesus told us, his highest purpose was what he said in John 17, was to glorify God. And that was what drove him constantly in all of the things that he did. So the first thing is what my highest purpose is and what's my highest uh, way of doing it, uh, as Jesus would do, in looking at leadership as an act of service. Uh, its highest purpose is to glorify God in two ways. Uh, one, and you've mentioned this, uh, leadership is about two things always, and it's results and relationships. And the proper balance of where are you taking people? What are the results? But what are the relationships that are going to be uh, um, grown on during that period of time? Uh, people, uh, one thing Jesus always did was brought out the best in people to make them great through the greatness of his service. So that's the one thing a business about perspective. The second part of perspective is, is looking at um, work as worship. And why I say that is that we are calling other people to do things. And we have to look at it as a basis of having them engage in that thing that is the, use, the best use of their time. And if we are honoring work uh, as something that can be offered up for the highest purpose, we're going to move people in the right direction. And the third thing that I think about perspective here is looking at every and anyone that you have influence on as the object of God's affection. Um, everyone uh, he loves uh, and calls us to love uh, and do it in the way that's most effective to move them ahead in their lives and in their purposes. And if we join together that in an organization, that'll bring out the best in folks and best in us. Uh, so the business of perspective of looking at the role of a leader is to be the chief servant of the vision of the organization or the family or whatever, uh, to see people as the object of God's affection, and to see work and any work honestly done as holy work uh, with that possibility, I think are some things that will allow us a heart to serve and a perspective on leadership that we can move forward with. Thank you, Phyllis, Ken, and Phil for framing our conversation. Now I would like to move to um, a portion where we answer questions that have been submitted to us by leaders who, again, are looking for answers, looking for wisdom, looking for guidance and encouragement. So let me start with this first question. What is the greatest challenge for leaders during this pandemic? 
Well, Megan now will start and uh, then Ken and Phil can um, also respond if they would like. But I think one of the greatest challenge during this time is being steady. That leaders uh, come into this situation that you couldn't prepare for. No one could have expected this kind of crisis uh, in our global world. And yet here we are together. So all of this preparation that we've been talking about for leaders all these years have been about preparing leaders actually for these kind of days to be steady, to be trustworthy. You know, when I think about um, leaders in this moment, uh, and even myself as a leader, that I think the people around me need to have a sense that I have confidence in God, that I have confidence in where to go and what to do because of what he's doing now in me. I think that requires great communication to the people around me. Uh, that requires a safety. You know, we've said for many years that safety is the number one job of a leader. And so doing everything I can to make sure that the people around me are safe. How are they doing? How can I serve them well? Those are the kinds of things that I think that we have to look at as a leader. The greatest challenge is that we ourselves are prepared to be that leader in the crisis. And that means that we have to understand what Jesus did in his crisis in scripture. It says that Jesus knew that he was going, that he had come from God and he was going back to God. We have to understand who we are and who we are in the moment so that we can provide that safe place, that trustworthy place for the people around us to look to in this moment. And then they are knowing that we're looking toward the only one where that can come from, which is God himself. Ken, Phil? Phil, just, oh. Phil just to build on that is that uh, I think the biggest challenge is to, for leaders to get out of their own way and think that this is all about them and that uh, Jesus modeled that he came to serve, not to be served. And, and what we need to do and, uh, is to realize that during these tough times, sure, we want to make sure that things are okay for ourselves and our family, but what can we do to really reach out and be there to serve and to encourage and to love on others? One thing that I think is, uh, is a good mindset for leaders is to be ambassadors of hope. And that is when people are looking around and it, everything is confused, that there is some place to put our faith. And then out of our faith can come our hope. And it, when the leader is, has a faith grounded in the fact that uh, I'm not God, but there is one. <laughs> Second of all, that he loves us and loves me. And he's also accessible uh, through his word and through prayer to give guidance during these times, that we have a trusted source of all that we'll need in the way of wisdom about dealing with other people and the temptations we have of fear and pride and distraction and all of those things that actually were a part of Jesus's life as well, that we have a model 
that we'll tr we can trust and rely on as we go back to it and, uh, and show that stability and authenticity. And like, as Ken says, getting out of your own way is also uh, take away the false front that you know everything uh, or, or, you're, or you pretend uh, that what you don't know is, is unimportant, uh, is really gathering information uh, and then processing it in a way that says, yes, there is a way for us to walk this walk together the best way possible for everyone who's involved. So that hope and constancy, I think, are some of the challenges uh, that people are gonna continue to look, how does this person uh, deal with their values when times are tough, as well as when their times are successful? Are they the same person when they get positive feedback and negative feedback? To take it as Ken has always said is, information, the breakfast of champions, that we can now uh, get a better picture and a more realistic picture on what's our work and what's the work of others. So here's the second question, and Ken, let me address this one to you. Is there a best leadership style for leaders to adopt during this time? Well, it's Jesus's leadership style. You know, one of the things that when I started to read the Bible later, in my life and I just laughed because everything I had ever taught about leadership Jesus did with these 12 inexperienced guys that he hired and uh, you know he adapted his leadership style as they became more able to run with the ball which was you know carry on the ministry because you'll notice in the in the first commission there's about a page or page and a half of directive behavior tell them where to go where to stay what to do you know if this happens you know, kick off the dust and all that. And then you see him change his leadership style from directing to coaching to supporting where he's really encouraging them. So finally, in the end of Matthew, he delegates. He just says, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy uh, Spirit. And, and uh, so he really kind of changes his style. You know, he had to come back for one last kind of supportive visit. Uh, but uh he changed his style depending on where they they were, uh, and he was constantly also praising them when, <coughs> when they did well, redirecting them when they needed that. So he was a perfect situational leader and one-minute manager. So Phyllis, let me address this third question to you first. And of course, Ken and Phil, you can pitch in at any time. How can leaders integrate their faith into discussions with employees at this time? One of the things that I have found really uh, effective about speaking about faith is just a simple question. When people uh, on my team, many years even before Lee Like Jesus would come and tell me of a family member being ill or something happening in their life, and they would um, disclose that to me, my question was, would you mind if I pray with you about that? And that opened up a conversation often that I just couldn't even imagine that it opened them up to hear that I would pray for them, number one, that I care so much about them. But it opened them up to think about God um, in a moment when they are in great need. So I think sometimes it's just a simple question, that it's a question of 
let's invite God into this situation. Let's invite God in to have a say about this. And I think just that question alone is a great way to initiate a conversation you might not have ever had with someone who works with you. And the other step I would say is kindness. It seems to me that people always respond to kindness. When people are, especially in these kinds of times, when their uh, employees, their teams around them are having challenges and that we can express kindness in all the ways that we can, whether it's just a phone call or it's a check-in or whatever it is, there's this sense that they are loved and that they're cared about. And that answers, you know, the question of, am I here to be served or serve others? And we're there to love and serve. And so kindness is a good way to practice our faith and practice the ways of Jesus in our workplace. Megan, I would, I'd like to just add to that, that when people see authentic leadership in hard times, we don't know the answers. Uh, in this particular situation, we are all novices. As Ken just described, a novice needs real direction and we get a new task. And if you're a novice, you normally have somebody telling you what to do. Go here, go here, do this. And you get, you know, why, what, when, where, and you get instructions. We are novices in this situation. And the people around us know that because they are too. And so to be able to have a discussion at this time about where you're getting your strength from, even, that we're having authentic conversations about the challenge. We're having authentic conversation around what we think we must do. And even when it's hard, people will accept the hard things if they know that it's coming from an authentic place in you. And so I think all of that points people to faith because they know that that's your foundation. And they know that you love them and you're desirous to love and serve them. So even the hard things that come up come out of that place of deep faith and that foundation that the leader has to love and serve in these days. Phyllis, one, one thing about authentic leadership, as you mentioned it, that comes to mind is the business of that we don't know everything, but we know where to go. Yes. You know, and that's one thing a leader can always say is that there's greatness in each individual that might be brought out by asking them a question of what do you think? How do you see it? And also that we have some places that we would go uh, and I'm, my, the go-to will always be, well, you know, there's some, Jesus had a very chaotic, uh, challenged leadership situation with everything that we have in it. And so there's some things that I constantly can draw back in as to what was his perspective. And uh, one was the business of the object of fear not. Mm -hmm. You know, that if we, if we can, get, we understand that we have the capacity to fear and that's good. But when we let it control us, then we start to move together in places that are not going to fulfill the best we can do. And second of all, is the business on pride. Is the, what's our go-to 
uh, thing that we that may be failing right now. You know, and that is if we've always gone to our knowledge of the situation, but we don't have enough right. But we have that we have that thing that we can go back to, that there is a source of wisdom, and there's a way to get to it. And that goes back to what you were saying about prayer, is we can pray together to seek what? Not just deliverance from the situation, but wisdom. And you know, and there is a source of wisdom that I think as a believer, we can legitimately and vulnerably say, you know, when I don't know, I do know where to go. Phil, I think the big picture there of what you're saying is the philosophy of we, not me. Mm -hmm. And a big part of the we is the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but it's not about you. It's about what does he have to say and what, given that, what can we together uh, do in this situation? It's not about you. Forget about the I. It's we. Yeah. You know, I can just back on some things you've said over the years, is leadership is not something you do to people. It's what you, you do with people. And as we can engage in that kind of a dynamic of relationship, that great leadership will not begin with me or end with me. It may pass through me with you and we move together. And that, that uh, is always, you know, stuck as the dynamic uh, where we can uh, engage the greatness in others and encourage and inspire it. Phyllis, can Phil, thank you. This was wonderful. Question number four. And Phil, let me address this question to you. What do employees and staff need most at this time and how to deliver? Well, first of all, the amount of change that we're engaged in right now comes from two kinds. There may be change that we're trying to make to make a, an improvement. And then there's all the change that comes on us from situations all around us. And one of the things we can do, need to do is be able to keep perspective on the amount of change that's engaged in the life of the people that we're involved with. Um, and we're right now where many things are changing. And so it is really being able to gauge the level of people's ability to change at a given point and what's important right now. Um, and so uh, the things, and this is all comes from teachings that I, I learned from Ken and, and his uh, wisdom, but the four levels of change that we have is, we, is information or knowledge. And, this, and when we have all of this new knowledge about this coronavirus or uh, things that we're being asked to do, the second thing that we need to do is be able to look at that with a new attitude, a perspective on what that new information is, and then depend what is our behavior to be and what we're asking others to do. And thirdly, what are the things we're going to try, fourthly, try and model uh, for others? I give a real, the greatest example is the one we're all dealing with now. Uh, the only thing I thought about face masks about five months ago was they were for uh, people that were robbing banks than the Lone Ranger. But right now, the business of masks and having to get new information about their use 
is really changing my attitude towards it, seeing it as important, which would then change my behavior. And now as we are changing behavior to meet this crisis together, our expectations of one another are changing as well. And now the person who doesn't have the mask on in the grocery store is looked as odd as opposed to the other one. So the leader, I believe, is if there is change that we have to make, explain the reason why. Because if, if people don't know, they'll resist it as awkward. Second of all, do they have the resources? Well, we're getting into the business of all kinds of resources with the business of masks. Uh, is it, does it mean something I have to do? Yes. And are we do, will I do it first, I think is also important for the leader. Uh, there's a number of other ones, but the whole understanding is trying to uh, sort out when change is required and then understand maybe we want to hold back on some intended change to allow people to absorb the change that has been foisted on, on us together. So that's, I think the leader has to have in some regard, a sense of timing, purpose and patience to allow others to come along. Uh, so Ken, the next question I would like to address to you specifically, out of all the books you have written, uh, which book would you apply most right now and why? Well, obviously, Lead Like Jesus Revisited, which is uh, our second version of our book, because in that book really has all the things that I've ever taught over the years. And I find out, uh, you know, the hand of God, you can see backwards, you know, he kind of lent me all those things. And so I really thought, oh, I was really good. Look at that, the one minute manager and all this. And really Jesus did all of those. And so uh, Lead Like Jesus Revisited is a wonderful book that really summarizes what we ought to be looking at uh, as we face this, this whole crisis, you know, from the heart, the head, the hands, and the habits. Phyllis, this next question is for you. What are examples of biblical leaders in times of crisis and how did they rise to the occasion? Well, Megan, there are many examples in scripture, but I've been thinking about uh, an Old Testament leader that really was in a, a horrific situation. And he had a funny name. His name was Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat got word that a vast army, big army, was about to attack his nation. And I love how scripture says this, and we won't take time to read it, but he immediately knew that he had to inquire of the Lord, scripture says. And in that inquiry, immediately again, he invited the people with him to talk to God about this. Isn't that a good sign of a leader? I mean, even in these days that we gather our people up and we speak to God together. And that's what he did. And in speaking to God, I love how he prayed because the first thing he did was he recognized who God was. And isn't that what we talk about in the heart? You know, is God the one we worship? We have to go back sometimes and say, who is this God? And Jehoshaphat said, aren't you the God that, that did all these things? 
aren't you the God who created the nations? And then he remembered what God had done in the past. And I think for every leader and every person in this time, it's so good to go back and remember the faithfulness God has had in your life and other times of crisis. I mean, God is faithful. And so we help people remember what God has done in the past. But there's this one verse that I love so much in, this is in 2 Chronicles and uh, chapter 20, is he is looking at all the things around him and he said, we have no power to face this vast army. I mean, seriously, we can't face this pandemic. He said, we have no way to face this army, but our eyes are on you. And so what he did was focus everyone's eyes on God, remembered what God had done in the past, recognized who God was. And then he got a word from God that said, stand firm, go here, do this, but you stand firm. So we go back to, to say to the leaders, how are you standing firm? How are you doing the things that you know? How are you inviting people into the process even now to say um, all of us is, is better than one of us and none of us? And so all of us together are praying and thinking together about how we accomplish these things with our eyes focused on God. And then what he did was kind of miraculous. So he got direction then he obeyed, and then on the way to the battle where he had been told to stand firm, they began to sing and praise. They were worshiping God on the way to the battle, and in their worship, God surprised the enemy. So I just believe that as leaders, we get this incredible message from Jehoshaphat's life that we immediately pray, that prayer is not our last resort, it is our first response. We invite people into the process as he did. He listened to what they had to say. He marched out when he heard the word from God and he obeyed, stand firm, we're still standing. We are doing what God told us to do, what God encourages us to do. And then we are worshiping the one that we stand in. And in the midst of that worship, we know what that looks like. You know, in everything we do and lead like Jesus, we look back to this is love-based leadership. So in everything we do, we ask the question, what is the most loving thing to do in this situation? What's the most loving thing to do with people? And so that's exactly what Jehoshaphat was doing in these days. He brought people along with him and he kept leading in the strongest hand of God. And so I think today that Jehoshaphat is a great example for us to look at and see how Jesus taught us to lead in this day and in this time. Thank you, Phyllis. What a beautiful reminder. I think this actually applies not only to leaders who are leading organizations, who are leading not-for-profits. I think this applies to mothers and fathers who are leading uh, their children. So I think it's a, it's a beautiful example all across the board. I had one thing when I was thinking of the same question that Phyllis answered and taking your point of who were the great, who were the great leaders in the, 
I came with the ones that had the greatest influence on Jesus, <laughs> and that was his mother and his father. And there, and Mary being the first surrendered heart, uh, who was willing to risk all in a completely bizarre and unusual situation, but she came to the point of saying, whatever thy will be done will be done. <laughs> and Joseph, um, as the leader of his family, first came into that relationship. We know only not many of his words, but his deeds. He came in as a righteous man mm -hmm. uh, into the relationship. He came in as a compassionate man. And then he came a man that was obedient to the word of God in taking care of the family issues that he had. One is provide, the other was protect, and the other was to nurture um, that family. And we walk, walk through his life of teaching uh, Jesus those things that he needed at an earlier stage of life uh, to grow into the things that he would uh, need for the future. And, uh, and so the business of right now, uh, you know, we can look at heroes uh, and, and public leaders, but most of us, and we're even being drawn back into our family more uh, deeply in this time of sequester. Yes. So how do we respond? And when, uh, when we're closer together and seeing each other in a different way. So I think the, the life role leadership that we all have uh, can be demonstrated best in those relationships of what Jesus would call us into family. So this is the final question of our video cast, and I would love for all three of you to address it. Phyllis, I will start with you. What are some things you are doing to manage during this time? Well, this has been such an important time of, of being quarantined. We are quarantined where I am in Washington, DC. And uh, so we're just together. We're in a, a small apartment and making a list of what God might be doing during this time has been a good way to think about the time. And like my example of Jehoshaphat, trying to keep my eyes on God and not on the circumstances, even though I'm gathering information and I'm certainly listening, but I really want, I want to keep my eyes focused and I think one of the things I'm doing to manage the time is being expectant to see where God is at work. And I think like you, I have seen wonderful acts of kindness. I have seen people delivering food. I have seen people starting new missions to help churches that are small and maybe having to lay off even pastors. I've seen uh, medical, the medical community have stepped up in incredible ways. And, and frankly, just looking out my window and seeing spring arrive, and I look out my window and I see beautiful leaves on the trees, beautiful flowers blooming, and the world looks like there's no problem at all if you just look at nature. And I'm just reminded that God is still in control, that God is still at work. And so I think that my whole um, perspective, Phil, to think about today is just 
being expectant to see what God is going to do in this time and praying for those people that have been so seriously ill, who have lost loved ones, and not looking at my small inconvenience in comparison to wearing a mask and going out, you know, hardly at all. But those are just small inconveniences to what's happening to other people, not just in the United States, but around the world, and expecting God to act. And here we are in Holy Week, this very special Holy Week. And on Good Friday, we are recording. And so thinking about what's happening this Holy Week and saying Sunday is coming, Sunday's coming. And so I'm coming at this with a sense of expectancy of what God will do. And I want to see it. I can hardly wait to see what God is going to do out of this situation we're in. That's how I'm managing my time. Phil, would you like to uh, be the next one to address this question? Okay. You know, uh, building a little bit on, on what Phyllis has done is, from a personal standpoint is, is pursuing some beauty every day. And what that means is going out, uh, having a chance to walk early in the morning or looking at the flowers. And I've taken, uh, every time I go for my walk, I take a picture of how many different flowers I can look at and really study. And here's one great thought that came, I think it's a great thought is, you know, now we have time to smell the roses, you know, take time to smell the roses, but also to praise the gardener, you know, and seeing that God is in control, his intricate and perfect world is still so visible in creation that, and keeping the perspective of, you know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The sun still comes up. The things of an order of his perfection are still available in our thoughts. So while we're dealing with this season, and I think that's the most important thing I, I, I continue to keep on is this is a season and it has a purpose in, in, in our lives, my life, and in, even in the world that we are now with this huge idea now, we're all in it together. <coughs> How many distinctions has that wiped away in an instant? Nations, gender issues, economics, whatever it is, we're all in this together. And if God has given us the sense that we have to work that way, um, it's amazing. And the second part of it is, is what we're doing right now is learning something new. Um, and this is technology because uh, it is going to change the fabric of how we relate for the future and how to use it again uh, in this uh, beginning stage in a new way. So I'm excited uh, for that. Understanding that the trouble and the pain and sorrow is, is undeniable and should not be diminished, but also putting that into the perspective of, you know, the church and believers and our faith grows in importance during times like this, that we have that thing. So that's trying to keep my mindset on that and, uh, and also enjoying life with my wife. 
and the idea that, as my kids know, I always say is, you know, this is a day that'll never come again. Thank you, Phil. Ken, would you like to uh, finally address the question? Uh, yes, what I try to do is maintain a, a positive attitude. I was fortunate to write a book with Norman Vincent Peale, and he said positive thinkers always get positive results. And part of that is having a sense of humor. So uh, like a friend of mine was telling me that she was talking to her dog and the dog was really listening to her like she really understood and had a conversation. And I told my dog Joy about it and we laughed together. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I get a kick out of the, the, the family that said that they're, they're uh, shut in with uh, five kids in, in an apartment in New York City and it, it acts like it's a diner with uh, disgruntled customers, you know? And so I'm constantly looking for things. Marge and I were deciding where we should go for, for Easter, whether it's the living room or the bedroom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's just a matter of kind of looking for things to take a laugh at and enjoy. And, and, uh, and I, I think that Jesus had a wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> you gotta be laughing at us all the time. Uh, so uh, it, that's, uh, I think, so important is to, is to have a lighthearted attitude and, and look for the joy and the fun in things. That's wonderful. Yeah. Phyllis, Phil, Ken, thank you so much. Um, this was wonderful. Uh, would you like to maybe make one final comment statement uh, again to, to the leaders who are looking for wisdom, encouragement, and hope? I would suggest that they lead like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would be, uh, given that this is the, the, the most perfect week to look at all that Jesus was as a leader uh, and all he promises to be as our leader continuing is to lean on and lean in to the cross and lean in and lean on Jesus as our model, as our source of strength, and all of those things that we have to share with others. And this is, this is, Easter is coming. And this season will pass as well. And may we use it well. May we not just, in fact, um, endure it, but may we be more than conquerors of it be, by using it in a way that God would be pleased with. Well, I agree uh, with both Ken and Phil on, on exactly what they said. And I would just add as leaders that I pray that we can be dispensers of hope and joy and love in these days. And we can only get that when we've accepted the unconditional love of the Father too. And I was thinking about this Sunday and how churches will be empty. But I am praising God that the tomb was empty too. And we get to say on Sunday, that he is risen indeed. And so that is a celebration that I'm excited about. And I am praying that many people around the world will be celebrating too. Mm -hmm.